Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist TJ Malkanji. We're going to do part two today on our uh, series that we began yesterday on uh, how to build a Bible-based expectation for your life. It's going to be awesome. We're going to get into the last four points. I had eight Bible expectations you should have for your life, rejecting the world's expectation uh, as to how things flow for the normal human being and how we should adopt Bible expectations for us who are not normal human beings. We're born from above. We've got God's DNA and nature on the inside of us. And the blessing of the Lord works things for us that can't be worked any other way. We've got the favor of God. And so we're going to get into the last four of those uh, uh, Bible blessings that we should expect for our life. Before we get there, hey Francis, love you man. You're doing a great job uh, in, in the real estate uh, community in Vancouver. I love, I love your office. I love the podcast studio you guys did. It's so excellent. Hey, Trish, Southern California. I'd love to be in Southern California right now. It's like, I, I don't know what it is in Fahrenheit, but it's minus like 19 today, minus 18 Celsius. I think that might be, what's that in Fahrenheit, guys? Minus, minus 15. Look it up. Minus 15. What is it on, on Fahrenheit? It's minus 20. What is that in Fahrenheit? Just because we have a lot of U.S. Uh, U.S. watchers and a lot of, uh, for some reason, the United States decided to not do what the rest of the world does and uh, observe their temperatures in Fahrenheit instead of Celsius. Hey, San Antonio, would, lo- would love to connect with you. Send me a message on Instagram. Uh, what is it? Eight Fahrenheit? Eight Fahrenheit. That's not that terrible. I've seen worse, but it's still bad. And I feel like the wind chill is crazy. Look, John Stafford watching from Plattsburgh, it's, mine, it's 11 Fahrenheit. Yeah, you're pretty much in the same, same category as us. Manitoba, I'm not even going to talk about cold because we have someone from Manitoba watching. Manitoba is like Antarctica. Manitoba is the type of place where you walk out to get something from your car and you come back. Your eyebrows are frosted. Your nose is frozen. Whatever... Stuff you had coming out of your nose, it's already frozen and caked onto your cheek. It's, it's, it's a horrible, horrible climate there at this time of year. It's a bit colder. 57 degrees. Goodness gracious. We'll be praying for you. And Trish, 60 Fahrenheit in South, we're going to be praying for you. And all those watching from Florida, our hearts are with you today. Uh, our hearts are with you. All right, help me get this broadcast out, this word out to more people. Uh, if you're on Facebook, hit the share button. Mark Zuckerberg made it easy for us. Hit that share button, hit the like button, and you can do it as many times as you want throughout the broadcast. If you're on YouTube, which the majority of people watch from YouTube, the best way to share this broadcast is by hitting the like button and then commenting throughout the broadcast. And then if you want to take it a step further, you want to be a little radical, take a screenshot of uh this right now. Take a screenshot of this and uh, tag me on Instagram. Put it up. Upload it to your story, your Instagram story, and then take the link for this broadcast and share it. You can send it to your coworkers. You can send it to your loved ones, friends, family, whoever else that you believe needs to hear this message. Uh, do that. Share that link. And all these small efforts go a long way. Thank you for our faithful viewership. Thank you for every one of you that watch us every single day. And for those that are tuning in for the first time, welcome. I know Barbara's a, a recent uh, new uh, new viewer. Recent, I think, 
from this week. So welcome, Barbara, and everyone else that will watch on the replay that it's your first time. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, God bless you, and, and uh, I pray this, this ministry is a blessing to you and an oasis, an oasis where you can truly drink from the fountains of the Word of God and be uh, satiated and, 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 and nourished through the words of faith. Came through Isaiah Saldivar. Love my, I love Isaiah. He's a good friend of mine. All right, let's get in it. Without further ado, how to expect a Bible expectation for your life, part number two. Yesterday, we talked about how the Bible says the expectation, Proverbs 23, 18, the expectation of the righteous man, which if you're born again in Christ, the blood of Jesus has washed away all your sins, guess what? You're righteous. You're not unrighteous. You're not a sinner any longer. You are righteous. The Bible says, He that knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? You have now the ability to stand before God, pure, holy, above reproach, without any sin accounted for in your account. Hallelujah. You have the ability to stand before God without any sense of inferiority, any sense of condemnation, and any sense of guilt. When God sees you, He sees the purity of His Son because He's poured out on you the spirit of adoption and he, uh, which causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, you are God's very own child. And he sees you through the eyes of his, uh, of, of his redemptive work, which he accomplished through Jesus Christ. So the Bible says, now that we understand we're righteous, that the expectation of the righteous will not be cut off. What does that mean? What you expect, you'll experience. That's why I'm doing these broadcasts. Number one, because what you expect, you'll experience. If you expect things that the world projects over your life, you'll experience. Your life's experience will look no different than the world's life experience. You know, there's a, 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 a proverb. The book of Proverbs has a verse that says, uh, He that wanders, hallelujah, this just came into my spirit. He that wanders from the way of understanding. What does he mean by that? The understanding of the word of God. He that wanders from a Bible-built expectation for his life will rest in the assembly of the dead. You know what that means? Even if you're righteous, even if you're redeemed, even if you are born again, even if you have right standing with God, but you wander from the book called the Bible, you wander from its promises, and you wander from its expectations for your life, your life will look no different than the unredeemed life. Your life will look no different from the person down the street who's flipping the bird to God, who cares not about the Lord, who has no inclination to serve God at all. The Bible says, he that wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. His life will look no different from those that are spiritually dead. And so it's important to, to 
gain an understanding from the Word of God as to what God desires to do for you on the earth. The expectations that the Bible sets for the righteous, we need to lay them up in our heart. We talked about Job 22 yesterday, where Job, the Bible says in 20, verse 21, we are to acquaint ourselves with God and be at peace with Him. Thereby good will come to us. Receive His instructions in our heart and lay up His Word in our spirits. Lay up God's Word in our spirits. Why do we lay up the God in our hearts? It's information coming your way. In the midst of all kinds of people trying to tell you how life's going to be for you, we've got another way. We have another way. We have another source. We have another source. We have another opinion. I don't have to accept the opinion of CNN as to how my finances are going to run the next couple of years because of the economy of this world. No, I've got an economy that I'm tapped into, heaven's economy, with unending overflow and unending resources. And I, as I read the Bible, I can see how my tomorrow is going to be and build my expectation in line with that based on what the Word of God says rather than going with the doom and gloom and all the false information that's coming out, out, out in the world. You know, there are many false prophets, the Bible says, that will rise up in the last days. And that doesn't just mean false prophets in the sense of like people that will preach against Christ. But false prophets as in people that will preach against the word. Anything that takes a stand against the word of God is labeled false prophet, false prophecy, false teacher. Any information that will come through your ears that is contradictory to the word of God is false a false teaching, it's false prophecy, and it's not to be accepted. Well, how are you going to know what's false if you don't first know what's true? How are you going to know what's false if you, don't, if you don't quite know what's true? How do we know what's true? Jesus himself said, those that abide in my word are my disciples, and my word, the truth, will set you free. Hallelujah. Let's make that comment in the uh, comment section as the first, first comment for today's broadcast. The Word of God is my truth. Hallelujah. You know, you have people that say, that's my truth, that's your truth. Well, the Word of God is my truth because the Word of God, matter of fact, let's modify that. The Word of God is truth. The Word of God is truth. It's not just my truth, it is the truth. It's my truth because I've received it for myself. But it is the truth. It is the way, it is the life. And anything that would oppose it, I don't receive. Any, anything the world tells me I should expect from my life that flies in the face of what the Word of God says I should expect from my, from my life, I don't receive. Turn with me to uh, so, uh, Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi, the third chapter... And Malachi in this chapter is actually talking about the last days and uh, the remnant that would be in the last days and how they should live and how they would live. Malachi chapter 3 and beginning with verse 13. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it's useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinances? So this is Malachi prophesying that in the last days there's going to be a religious spirit. 
They just go through the motions of religion, but they ultimately believe it's useless to serve God. There's no profit in uh, keeping God's word and his commandments. Well, that's not true because the psalmist writes in Psalm 19, your servant has promise of great reward in keeping your word. Your servant has promise of great reward in keeping your word. If you're a person that puts a premium on the word of God and keeps it as uh, your main voice of authority in life and don't despise it, but honor the word of God in its instructions, the Bible says you can expect great Reward. You can expect great reward. Religion tries to strip service to God from its reward. But God's not like that. He said, if you'll diligently hearken to my voice, all these blessings will come on you. So God's not against you expecting good to come to you. The Bible says in Job 22, 21, I just quoted it before. Acquaint yourself with God and be at peace and good will come to you. God's not against you expecting good. Well, how do you, you know, you think that if you serve God and you give your best to God, that he's just all of a sudden, all these things are going to work out for your good. That's not what I'm saying. The Bible itself testifies to that truth. The Bible says, if you'll serve the Lord your God and obey his statutes, You'll spend your years in pleasure and your days in prosperity. So the Bible instructs you to not just serve God, but to expect. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let's write that in the comment section. I expect a reward. I expect a reward from God. I expect a reward from God. I'm not going to get beat down into this brain-dead religious mindset where I'm taught to just do things out of religious duty. No, even in Matthew 6, when Jesus said, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, he said, don't do it publicly as a hypocrite would to be seen by men for your great charitable acts and your great fasting and your long extensive praying. Do it privately, but Jesus every time finished off by saying, and what you do privately, God will give you an open reward. Hallelujah. Not just any kind of reward that's not noticeable by others. He's not saying an open reward in that when God rewards you, you should boast about it and you should flash it out there. No, it's going to be such a powerful reward, such a notable reward, such an evident mark of God's favor and grace on your life that anybody around you will not be able to ignore that this is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our sight. We don't know how it happened, but it happened. Hallelujah. An open reward. An open reward. So never get into that group of people. I don't, expect, I don't expect God to do anything for me. You're not smart because you're not, you're not being biblical. And if you're not being biblical, you're not being smart. The Bible says a stupid man hates correction. And the word of God primarily is given to us to correct. Correct our wrong thinking. Correct our wrong doing. Correct our wrong speaking. A stupid man hates correction. It's stupid to keep on reading the Bible and still speak the way you spoke when you didn't know the God of the Bible, you weren't saved, and you had nothing to do with God. 
You have to correct your speaking. I'm not going to say I don't expect anything from him. God actually is irritated by that. Could you imagine if my son, my son walking around the house, all of a sudden, I don't expect dad to do anything for me. Uh, son, did I do anything to offend you? That's, uh, is there anything I can do to change that? This, this vile perspective that you have of me? Is there anything I, I've done in the past that made you think that about me? You know, that's how God sees it. It's like a direct assault on his character and his nature and his will. I don't expect God to do anything. And they, they camouflage it. They masquerade it in this religious voice. I don't expect anything from God. I'm just content in being a part of his family. Well, that's not smart. You should expect great things from God. God actually uses his word to build up your expectation to receive great things from God. Any promise that you find in the Bible is God's inviting you. It's God's invitation to you to expect that for yourself. That's what a promise is. A promise is God's invitation to you to expect that thing in your life for him to fulfill or perform that thing on your behalf. Why else would he put promises in the Bible? Why else? What good is a promise? Just to get our hopes up? Just for us to, you know, lean on the crutch of the word? No, the Bible is not a crutch. The Bible is an all-powerful, Satan-destroying, problem-solving book that when you believe on it, it yields maximum benefits and results. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't say it's useless to serve God. What profit is there in that we've kept his ordinances and that we've walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? Verse 16, Malachi 3.16, listen to what God says. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. Isn't that powerful? Those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and God listened to them. That should encourage you. There's some people watching me, I'm sure, if you, if you swore, you said the F word, you would immediately believe God heard that, and you'd ah, Lord, I, I'm sorry about that. I, and that's great. That should, you shouldn't be saying the F word. But why is it that we're so convinced God hears us when we swear, but we're not convinced that God hears us when we pray? Why are we so convinced that God hears us when we swear and when we curse or if we gossip or whatever, but we're not convinced that God hears us when we speak his promises and when we pray through his promises? The Bible says, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. Be convinced that God listens to you when you speak, that God hears you when you confess his word. I'm not, your Bible says we are to not waver from our confession of faith, because he who promised is faithful to bring it to pass. I'm not confessing the word out of some uh, ritualism. Like, like an incantation. We look in the mirror every morning and say, today, all will be well with me because I'm righteous. Today, I'm not, the Lord is my light and my salvation. I'm not doing this as some incantation. I'm not doing this as some like weird new age practice. No, when I confess the word, I'm doing it in obedience to scripture and I'm confessing it because Isaiah 44 says, he confirms the word of his servants and he performs the counsel of his messengers. God cannot confirm in your life that which you have not confessed from your mouth. Hallelujah. God cannot confirm in your life what you have not confessed out of your mouth. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, I, the Lord, create the fruit of your lips. 
He cannot create for you anything that has not first come from your mouth. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and verse 3, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which we see were not made of things which do appear. What does that tell you? God framed these, these worlds, the planets, the solar system, and the universe. He framed it. He brought it to pass. He created it all by the word of his mouth. And the things which we see, all matter that we see today, is a product of the invisible words that God spoke. And the Bible says we are created in God's image. And we are to imitate God as beloved children. That means we too have the power to frame our world by the words of our mouth. And it's important to understand that like I said before, you're either going to get your expectation from the world or you're going to get the expectation for your life from the Word. But when we get our expectation from the Word or wherever we get our expectation, it's important to note that our expectation is going to form our confession. And it's important to know that our confession is ultimately going to shape our life. Your life is going in the direction of your strongest confessions and your strongest thoughts, whether you know it or not. Your life, I'm going to say that again because that's a powerful statement. Your life is going in the direction of your most powerful confessions and consistent confessions, whether you know it or not. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you want to change your life, you have to change your speech. You want to change the outcome? It first starts with changing your confession. And your confession will never be altered for the positive until you have built your heart embedded within your heart the word of God. I'm not preaching positive speech. I'm not preaching positive thinking. I'm preaching biblical thinking and biblical speaking. Those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened to them and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and meditate on his name. They shall be mine. If you're just joining me right now, it'd be a great help to me if you would hit that like button and uh, comment, comment where you're watching from, comment throughout the broadcast. Let's get this word out to as many people as possible. Those on Facebook, hit that share button. Let's, let's blast this message on the digital airwaves today. Let's make this day a, a hard day for the devil as we set people free from all kinds of misconceptions and religious notions and we bring them into Bible truths that sets them free once and for all in Jesus' mighty name. They shall be mine. Verse 17, Malachi 3.17, God speaking. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels. Yeah. I want you to write that in the comment section. I am God's jewel. I am God's jewel. J-E-W-E-L. I am God's jewel. Why is it important to say that? Because some people have a very low self-esteem of themselves. And I don't mean you're humble, where you think of, yourselves, uh, think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. That's important. You should never think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But there's a difference between being humble and then being self-deprecating. There's a difference between carrying meekness and being someone who berates yourself all through the day. 
You're not disposable trash to God. You're not the product of two particles coming together in accidental location. Here you are today. Even if your parents didn't plan you, even if they said, you know, you were an oopsie baby and you thought of yourself as an accident your entire life, you might be an accident on your parents' behalf, but you're not an accident on God's behalf. You were born for such a time as this. Before you were born, the Bible says God knew you and he consecrated you for a holy purpose. You're not an accident. You are born with divine plans and purposes programmed on the inside of you. God loves you. God has a plan for your life. God sees you as his very own jewel. They are my jewels. What does God say he's going to do for his jewels? I'm going to spare them. Who are his jewels? His children. What is he going to do for his children? I'm going to spare them. As a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you will again discern. Then you will again know. Then you will undoubtedly see the difference, hallelujah, between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who serves him not. That's powerful. That's the Bible telling you in the last days, when you start to hear all kinds of crazy things happening, threat of global war, threat of global economic depression, threat of global uh, famines and droughts, threat of all kinds of horrible things that the, even the Bible projects, global viruses, pestilences that would take the, every nation of the earth, which we've seen in recent days. The Bible says, in that day, I'm going to spare my children. I'm going to give them another way. I'm going to provide for them a different story. Because we have a different God, we have a different story. Because we are kingdom people, we have kingdom rules tied to our account. My life's not going to look like everybody else's life. And I'm reading this story, this, this portion of scripture, to illustrate to you that your expectations should be different because you might be in this world, but you're not of this world. Your life should look drastically different. Your life should look different from your backslidden ant's life. Your life should be different from your unsaved boss's life who curses and smokes cigars and all that. Those, those people should look at your life and say, what's your secret? Yeah, I, I'm not saying that I'm trying to get to you today that this is not the outcome just for a few religious zealots that God has selected on his own initiative. This is the Bible program for anybody that's saved. Because I think some people, they see my life, they see uh, my faith, and they see, uh, you know, what God's done for me. And then they start thinking, you know, that's, he's an evangelist. He loves God a little more than we do, and that's why God treats him special. No, God doesn't want to treat me any more special than he wants to treat you. God doesn't have a different plan for me any more than he has a plan for you. It's the same plan. Anyone that will take hold of it, anyone that will latch onto it, anyone that will just simply believe it. I think it was D.L. Moody that said, the world is waiting for somebody, a simple individual, that will get the word of God and actually just believe it. The world's waiting for that individual. 
And I'm praying that I'm that kind of individual. And I pray that you're going to be that kind of individual. That's right, Pastor AJ. Not an anomaly. This is the normal. I couldn't have said it better. This, this is not an anomaly. This is not some spectacular thing that's outside of God's MO, his normal mode of operation. This is the normal Christian life. This is the normal Christian life. And it begins to unfold for you when you start to accept it. God said, I'm going to show in the last days, in spite of difficult times coming. You know, the Bible says difficult times will come to the earth. But it doesn't mean that that has to be your life. Just like in Egypt. In Egypt, there were darkness, darkness all over the land of Egypt. But in Goshen, there was light. In Goshen, where the children of God dwelt, there was light. The darkness never impeded on the light that was in Goshen. Though the locusts came and chewed up all the harvests of every Egyptian crop, every Israeli crop was preserved and kept. That's what God's saying in Malachi 3. You'll again see the difference that I'm going to, the clear line of demarcation between those that are righteous and those that are wicked, between those that serve God and those that serve not the Lord. I prophesy in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, people around you, even heathens, unbelievers, will not be able to ignore that there's a clear difference in your life a clear difference in the prosperity you enjoy, a clear difference in the results that you see, a clear difference in the outcome of your life. Just like Potiphar looked on Joseph, and the Bible says when he saw Joseph, he knew that the hand of God was on Joseph's life. And he said God made him a successful man. Just like Jacob's uncle Laban, when Laban had him for seven years and Jacob said, I'm going to leave now. Laban said, no, no, you have to stay with me because I've learned from experience that God's blessing is on your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Between one who serves God and one who serves him not. So we got into it yesterday. Eight things we should, we should line our expectations up with the Bible. And there's more things, but for the sake of time, we're going to do eight. Yesterday, I talked about one. I don't expect to keep living in sin. I expect righteous fruit to be produced in my life. I don't expect to be a slave to sin. I expect to be a slave to God's righteousness. We talked about that. Number two, we talked about we don't expect sickness. We expect divine health. Just like every company has health benefits. Every company has a health program. Uh, if, if you're a full-time employee, you get certain benefits and certain things uh, given to you. Part of it being the health package. In the kingdom of God, being citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we get to partake of health benefits. We get to partake of the health program of heaven. Hallelujah. What's health, the health program in heaven? It's not, you know, you'll get sick and you got to go to a hospital and God will guide the surgeon's knife. No, the health program of heaven is not only will I heal you when you get sick, I'll put a hedge of protection around you. Man, I feel to, to just read this, just to reinforce that. And I, this is not what we're going to talk about at length today, but I feel just to reinforce that. God's health program is not just I'm going to heal you when you get sick. God's health program is I'm going to put a hedge of protection around you so that you never have opportunity to get sick in the first place. Job 1.9, Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? 
Verse 10. This is Satan's words. The devil said, Haven't you made a hedge of protection around Job, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. Even the devil understood, I can't touch Job. I can't put sickness on him. I can't do anything to his house. You have put a hedge of protection around his house. That's what God's health program is. God puts a hedge of protection, a wall of fire around you that's impenetrable and invincible where the devil doesn't even get to sow the seed of sickness in your family. And whatever passed down transgenerationally, it ends with you. So I don't expect sickness. I expect divine health and strength. Number three, we talked about I don't expect failure. We expect victory. God will cause your enemies that rise up before you one way, to be defeated before your face, and to be cast down seven ways, to be thrown out seven ways. When the enemy comes rushing in like a flood, God said, I'll raise up a standard before him to destroy him and bring his efforts to nothing. I don't expect failure. No man will stand before me all the days of my life. Number four, we talked about how we don't expect poverty. We expect God's divine blessing and prosperity, for he delights in the prosperity of his servants. Today, we're going to talk about the next four. Number five, I don't expect trouble. I expect blessings. I don't expect trouble. I expect blessings. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Talking about how to build a Bible-based expectation for your life. Hey, John, th uh, thanks for sticking on. Irma, Pastor AJ, Tasha, Maria, thanks for coming on today. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Get out of your country from your family. Now, why can we take this for ourselves? This is God speaking to Abraham. Why can we say, well, that, I'm going to apply that for my own life? Well, because the Bible says in Galatians 3 that we are blessed with believing Abraham. And if you are Christ's, you are Abraham's seed. And the New Living Translation puts it this way. Everything God promised to Abraham now belongs to you. So God's promising things to Abraham, but we can apply that to ourselves. Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. I, and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those that bless you, and I'll curse those that curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Turn to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Turn now. So God's saying, I'm your shield. I protect you. And I also have a great reward for you. Genesis 17. Abram's now 99 years old. And again, God reinforces his covenant which that covenant is now our covenant. I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. So that shows us our demand, our requirement, our responsibility. That's why Job 21, we read it yesterday. Put away from your tents iniquity. The sin is the devil's attempt to rob you of covenant blessing. I'm going to say that again. That's important. Sin is the devil's attempt to rob people of God's blessing. 
Put sin away from your tent, Job said. Because it's the devil's sneaky attempt to creep in unnoticed and strip you bare of God's divine blessing. That's why God reinforces his covenant, but he makes it clear. Everything in the covenant hangs on the requirement that we have to be holy even as he is holy. Prosperity, health, heaven, righteousness, all of it hangs on our responsibility to repent, to repent, turn away from sin. Abraham, walk before me and be blameless and I will make my covenant between you and me and I'll multiply you exceedingly. I'll multiply you exceedingly. What do you read here? Turn to Deuteronomy 11. We're going to see a, a, an expanded version of that Abrahamic blessing in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Verse 8. Therefore, keep every command which I command you today. See, there it is again. You're always seeing God remind his people. Don't forget to keep my commands, to walk in my statutes, to follow my instructions. For he that wanders from my instructions will rest in the assembly of the dead. God's commands, by the way, I need to make this clear. God's commands are not designed to strip life of its basic fun and pleasures. God's commands are actually designed to get the most out of life. Hallelujah. God's commands, God's instructions are designed for humanity to get the most out of life. They're not there to get you depressed, lonely, miserable. The Word of God is ultimately and primarily to benefit you, benefit your joy. God's Word adds to your joy. God's Word, when you follow it, it adds to your peace. Great peace have they that love your law, and nothing makes them stumble. It's in the way of darkness where stumbling blocks come, and snares are there, and all the traps of the devil are there to trap people up in. But in light, you avoid the traps, and the entrance of His Word brings light. And his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. God's word is not designed to keep you low and to keep you smothered in life while you're barely surviving. God's word is designed to show you the traps of the devil, to show you the snares of life and keep you on the right way so that you're never, you're never in recovery mode. You're always a step ahead from everyone else. Therefore, keep my commands, which I command you today, that you may be strong. That you may be strong. Not that you might be weak. Not that you might be lessened. That you might be strong. You're your strongest when you're in compliance with God's scripture. Man, I'm going to say that. The Holy Ghost is speaking through me today. I feel the anointing strong. You are your strongest when you are in delightful compliance with the demands of Scripture. You are your strongest 
when you're in delightful compliance with the demands of scriptures, you will be strong to go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess, and that you may prolong your days in the land. That's talking about long life. God's word will actually give you long life. The Bible says, be attentive to my word. Keep your word in, his, in your heart. Keep my word in your heart. For it's life to them that find it and health to all their flesh. Healing to all their flesh. The Bible says the fear of the Lord prolongeth days. God's word will actually have a, a benefit to your physical vitality to prolong your days. You know, Long life by itself can be a curse to many. There are people that want to die. That's why suicide is there. That's why people commit suicide. They, they don't want to live anymore. So it's not just long life God promises you. It's a long, satisfactory life that God promises to the one who puts his word first in everything that he does. In everything that he does. That's right, AJ. We, we spoke about that scripture yesterday. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat of the good of the land. You'll eat of the good of the land. And you'll dwell long eating of the good of the land. You'll prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them and their descendants. A land flowing with milk and honey. Praise the Lord. Not flowing with trouble and tragedy. Flowing with milk and honey. Not flowing with constant struggle and demonic attack after demonic attack. Flowing with milk and honey. That is divine abundance. That is supernatural provision. I don't expect trouble. Write this in the comment section. I don't expect trouble. I expect blessings. I expect things to flow in my life. I expect things to move forward unhindered in my life. Now, there are people that read that and they say, well, attack is real. Challenges come. I agree. Attack is real. Not attack Israel. Attack is real. Don't <laughs> take the snippet out. TJ said we should attack Israel. No. Attack is real. Attack is real. Challenges are inevitable in life. They come to everyone. But how you react to that challenge determines whether you come through or whether you get broken down and beat down. Paul, in prison, writing to the Philippian church, he writes this, Philippians 1.20, Now I know that this will turn for my deliverance according to what? According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I will be made ashamed. Hallelujah. Paul said, I'm in chains right now. I've been whipped. The devil has tried to stop my ministry. But I know that this is going to turn for my deliverance. How? Because I have expectation and hope that God will not leave me ashamed. So I'm not saying the enemy doesn't try to bring trouble. I'm saying that even the trouble he does bring, we can know that it will be turned for our deliverance. 
through the supply of the Spirit of Christ and our prayers that are prayed in expectation that God works everything for my good because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. I love him. I'm called according to his purpose. There should not be. See, if you're a Christian and the norm is just a flow of trouble and anguish, let me read something to you. Romans chapter 2. The norm should not be trouble, anguish, an unfortunate series of events. There's something wrong. If that were my life, I would take inventory. Lord, show me where I'm missing it. Highlight whatever I'm missing. Where did I miss it? Because I, I read the Bible and there's a disconnect between what the Bible says and what I'm reading and, and what I'm seeing. What I'm reading and what I'm seeing is different. And I'm not an idiot. I'm not going to go and blame God. Don't be an idiot. Don't blame God for when things don't work. That's a stupid thing to do. And I know some people might be watching live and on replay. You've never been talked to like this. Well, it's time someone talks to you like this. Don't blame God for every bad thing that happens in life. And say, well, you know, if he allowed it, it must be his will. God allowed a banker to go into a, 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 a robber to go into a bank yesterday and rob the bank. Do you think he commissioned that? Do you think God's anointing bank robber? <laughs> Some things people say are so ridiculous. They've never actually thought through their logic. Well, God allowed it. Must be his will. God allows the fentanyl addict to keep on doing fentanyl and the fentanyl drug smugglers to keep on smuggling things into the cities to get that into the hands of addicts so they can keep on their addiction and die in overdose and all that ungodly thing that happens. Does that mean he's, you think God's backing the cartels in Mexico? You got to be brain dead to believe that. Just because God allowed something doesn't mean God commissioned it. Don't confuse his permission with his commission. Don't confuse God's permission with God's commission. The Bible says, I give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you allow on the earth, I'll permit from heaven. And whatever you bind on the earth, I will forbid from heaven. That means... The authority lies with us. And so if I see things happening, I don't just accept it as some divine sovereign plan. If it, if, listen, if what you're seeing violates what God says you should see, it is not his sovereign move taking place because God's sovereignty will never violate his will in scriptures. Let me make that statement again. God's sovereignty will never violate his clear will in Scripture. He'll never violate it. He'll never go against. The Spirit of God will never speak against the Word of God, and the Spirit of God will never bring to pass things that violate the Word of God. So when I don't see things lined up with the Word, what do I do? I take inventory. Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 13.5. You should examine yourself to see whether you're in faith. You should examine yourself to see whether you're in faith. It's so high-minded and prideful to have something happen and then point the finger at God. And then I'll say on another level, 
Sometimes people overblame the devil. Yeah, I'll say it again. Sometimes people overblame the devil. Welcome, Australia, watching at 4 a.m. God bless you, Sarah. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. That's, that's high sacrifice. I pray that the Lord adds a double blessing to you, Sarah, in Jesus' name. Some people overblame the devil when it's actually they're suffering the consequence of their own decisions, of their own poor choices. Poor choices bring poor outcomes. Rich choices bring rich outcomes. And so we don't overblame the devil and we don't blame God. We find out what's going on here. Let me change that. Because when I read the Bible, Psalm 5.13 says that God surrounds us with favor as with a shield. God surrounds me with favor as with a shield. What does that shield do? The favor of God acts as a shield to block trouble from coming my way on a regular basis. I'm speaking like this because I want you to stop talking like this defeated, defeated, deflated individual. You know, it never works out for me. And it never will. It never will. Life's just hard. I don't see how I can keep on going. It, the Bible doesn't say let the weak confess their weaknesses and secure the sympathy of other people and just pray God hears them. Into, no, let the weak say I am strong. Let the weak say I'm strong. You want to know how to turn your trouble into blessing? Start to speak blessing in the face and in the presence of trouble. Start to speak it. The Bible says, as they loved cursing and spoke it, let it come to them. And as they loved blessing, let it come to them. That's what the Bible says in the book of Psalms. As they loved cursing and delighted in it, let it come to them. Make a habit of always confessing hardship, con confessing. You know, you don't actually have to speak about everything that you see happen around you. You know, you actually don't have to vent all your feelings about what you're seeing happen. You know, you actually don't have to um, give a voice to what you're feeling all the time. You know, you don't have to lend your mouth to the devil's quotes for your life. You don't have to do that. James said it this way, your tongue is like a rudder of a ship. You know what the rudder is? It's that little piece in the back of a ship that guides the ship. And it's, you have the wheel, but the rudder is what that wheel is guiding. And your tongue is like the rudder of a ship. And he said, do you see great ships, how great they are? But yet they're tempest-tossed. They're tossed by storms. Even though they're exceedingly large cruise ships, they're tossed by storms. But he said, your tongue is the rudder of the ship. You can either use your mouth and your expectation to keep yourself in a circle, in a cycle of that frustration, or you can use your mouth and expectation to gear your life out of that trouble. I pray in Jesus' name today, God's going to put a special grace on your life right now. From the, in your heart is going to be birthed right now a special grace to not confess trouble, but to confess blessing in Jesus' mighty name. Number six, I don't expect, this is important, I don't expect my marriage to fail. I expect a biblically joyful, blessed marriage. For those of you that are married, and for those of you that are going to get married, 
It's important to have a Bible-based expectation as to how your marriage is going to go. Why do I say that? When I was going to get married, you had a lot of people, good-hearted people, well-intentioned people, say, oh, get ready. Get ready. It's not about you anymore. Get ready. You know, you're going to have bills to pay as you get into that home together. Get ready. It's easy. It's easy to not step on each other's toes when you don't live together. But when you're living together, you start to step on people's toes. You know, I can sit on a couch with somebody and be two feet away from that person and not step on their toes. Why? One, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. I'm not going around stepping on people's toes. I don't have an evil heart. I don't have wicked intentions. Two, I have my part to play and I know my place on that couch. Turn to Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 5. Here's the reason why you can expect a blissful marriage. Because the world, I mean, you look at the marriage, uh, how many marriages are taking place today? Fewer than ever before. People are told not to get married. Where I'm from in Quebec, people don't even get married. They do common law partnerships. That's what they do. They don't even get married. They, 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 don't, they don't have, uh, not even civil marriages. They don't do the church, and they certainly don't do the civil marriage. The divorce rate is so high, and the number one cause for divorce is financials. Money. That's always the number one cause of divorce is financials. That's why the devil tries to get preachers to not talk about money. We don't talk about money. You have pastors. You have full churches that take pride in, we don't talk about money here. And the crowd cheers. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's a couple on the third pew there that's about to divorce because they need to know about what the Bible says about financial stewardship. They're brain dead. We don't talk about money here. Yeah. Oh, great. Because you have a nice car and a nice home. All your bills are paid and you don't give a rip about people in your sanctuary that are struggling and suffering and drowning in a pool of debt. We don't talk about money here. Yeah. Keep on talking like that. And your divorce rate in your church. You know, the divorce rate in the church is no different from the divorce rate in the world. Because the same problems that face godly marriages face ungodly marriages. That's why it's important to know these things. And God has no plan. He that finds a spouse finds a good thing. A good thing. Marriage is a good thing. And our society has tried to pervert the biblical definition of marriage and the biblical blessing that marriage brings to people. Perverting it discouraging people from coming together in holy matrimony. You know, at least in my grandparents' day, even if they weren't happy with each other, they stayed married. They were committed to each other. Why? Because they understood we made a covenant between God and ourselves. This is a holy thing, and they stayed committed. Nowadays, that whole, it's become a joke. It's become a joke. And it ticks me off. And the reason why, and I'm telling you it, is because people in the church and out of the church, whether, but we're talking about people in the church. People in the church have adopted the worldly expectation as to how marriage is supposed to be. Ephesians 5. How did God say marriage is supposed to be? Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. 
For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the Christ is subject to Christ, let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Don't rejoice, husbands, just yet. Because there's your part to play. That's why I said, I'm on a couch with somebody. I'm not stepping on their toes. Why? Because I know my place to be. When you know your part to play in a marriage, marriage becomes so easy. This is why my wife and I, I think we can count, and I'm not saying that uh, we've never fought, but I think we can count on one hand, probably actually on three fingers, how many fights we've had in our, in our eight years of marriage. And it's not because uh, we, knew, we, we knew the marriage handbook before we got into it all. No, <laughs> I didn't know what to expect on a practical level, but you know what we did know? We knew that if my wife would be a godly woman, which she is, Proverbs 31 woman, to submit herself to my spiritual authority in the home, not in an unhealthy manner, but in, I have, she has her opinions. We both share our minds. We both pour our hearts out with each other. We find out, you know, what's the best way. But at the end of the day, she, she does know that she, she knows to submit to whatever I feel in my spirit by the Holy Ghost to do. And she knew her part, and then I knew my part. What's my part? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So it's not wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands... You know, do what you want. You've got a slave now in life to do whatever you want. Congratulations. No. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? The Bible says that the Son of God did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Christ loved the church by serving the church, by serving the world, by giving himself on that cross, giving every drop of blood he had in him. That's the husband's part. I knew that if I give myself to my wife to care for her needs, to tend to her cares, then we're going to have a good marriage. Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For we are members of one body, of his flesh, of his bones. We've become one together. We serve each other. The Bible doesn't say he that finds a wife finds a ball and chain. Bible says he that finds a wife finds a good thing. A good thing. I don't expect my marriage to fail. I don't expect divorce. And if you're not married, keep this in your spirit for when you do enter into marriage. And when knuckleheads get around you that say, get ready. Oh, you just lost your will. <laughs> Tell them to shut up. I don't expect any of that. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, I've obtained a greater level of favor from the Lord because of this matrimony. Tired of it. Which leads me to, my, to another point. I don't expect my kids to backslide. I don't expect my kids to serve the devil and serve the world. Because, you know, the same people that say marriage is hard, guess what? Oh, when you have a child... They come knocking. I remember I was, I was going to a church. This was last year in February. I was going to preach at a church. And as I'm walking in, a man who was like shoveling snow, he comes up to me and he sees my son and then he sees my daughter. And he goes, oh, they're beautiful now. Just wait till they're teenagers. I looked at him and said, no, they're beautiful now. They'll be more beautiful and more helpful when they're teenagers. And he was kind of shocked by that. He thought I was just a guest. He didn't know I was the speaker. And so he must have been shocked when I got up to take the mic that day because you got rebuked right by, by the preacher. And I wasn't doing it to be mean. I'm not going to, you, 
I'm not, you know, get thee behind me, Satan. I'm not saying you're the devil, but you just lent your voice to the devil to, to speak that to me. And I'm not letting that fly. Just wait till she's older. Wait till she starts to get into her teenage rebellious years. Hey, there ain't going to be a teenage rebellious year. My children will serve the Lord. The Bible says, how blessed is the man who fears God and keeps his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. My descendants are going to be mighty on the earth. They're going to be used by God. They're going to do exploits for service to the kingdom of God. His generation of the upright will be blessed. Will be blessed. Psalm 128. Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you'll be happy and it'll be well with you. Your wife will be a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Not your wife is going to be a drag and a continual dripping on a raining day. Your wife's going to be a fruitful vine. The Bible says many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Beauty is fleeting and charm is deceitful, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. She's going to be a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants. What is an olive plant? Where do we get anointing oil from? Olives. The psalmist is saying your children are going to be sweet sources of the anointing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a pastor friend I have. That his five-year-old kid had a dream. A dream that was prophetic. And he came to him the next day and said, Dad, I had a dream. This is what I saw in the dream. And I'm not going to get into the details. But he said the dream. And it actually was a confirmation to the father as to what he had been sensing in his spirit. And he moved from that church to Spokane, Washington to plant a church there. And it all came because of the confirmation from a child's mouth. Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants. The Bible says your children will be sources of the anointing. Get ready for when you, have when you have children. It's not about you anymore. Get ready for when you have children. Say goodbye to sleep. Get, get ready for when you have children. Can't do what you want anymore. That's not been my story. My children are not a drag on my life. My children are a blessing. I love my son. I love playing with my daughters. I, love enjoy, I, I enjoy time with them. I, I, I love hearing him talk. I'll, I'll I, I'll, I'll just ask him questions sometimes. I don't even care to talk. I'll just ask him questions so I can hear him talk. And I can hear him just ramble off, even if it makes no sense. I love to hear it. I love to hear him talk. I love buying him gifts and presents just to, hear, just to see him smile. My son's one of the most grateful people you'll ever meet. You give him something. And it, every Christmas, we've done this. And I know it might seem like torture, but it's not. It, it's been awesome to watch. And, we'll, and before we give any gift... Before we give any gift, we come out with a, a, a Christmas bag, and in it is a banana. And we tell Judah, this is your gift. Here it is. And he, I remember the first year, he grabbed it. He looked at it a little bit confused. And what did he do? He said, thank you, Dada. Thank you, Mama. I love it. He was so grateful. They're sources of the anointing. Children are a heritage of the Lord, a reward from God. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Don't expect your children to be some deadbeats in society. My children are never going to get addicted to drugs. And if your children are addicted to drugs, you that are watching right now, or your children aren't serving the Lord, you don't have to continue to speak, oh, my children don't serve the Lord. Start to say, me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Change your expectation. 
They might not be serving God right now, but we've trained them up in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they're not going to depart from it. Even if momentarily they come off track, God, by the Spirit, is making a way to pull them back into the kingdom of God. And they're not going to die and go to a sinner's hell. They're going to dwell with me throughout all eternity. Amen. Number six, I don't expect my marriage to fail. I expect a biblically joyful marriage. Number seven, I don't expect ministry to be hard. This is for those in the ministry or those that are going to do anything for God. I don't expect ministry to be hard. I expect God's backing and God's grace. The Bible says in Luke chapter 10, the disciples returned with great joy after they were sent out by Jesus to do ministry. They didn't come back with great complaints. Jesus, man, that was hard. You expect us to do this the rest of our life? This was hard. This was hard. I can't expect to do that. I'm going to burn out. Let me make this clear. Any minister that burns out, they didn't do it well. And I'm not trying to be critical. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just, Jesus said, the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yoke is easy. Burden is light. I'm not saying this falsely. I'm not saying this because I'm trying to prove my point. I'm not saying this um, in a way to brag or boast. I'm saying this by the grace of God and by the Spirit of God. I have never had a hard day of ministry, and I will never have a hard day of ministry. I'm not saying I've not had challenges in the ministry. I'm just saying that I've never had a hard day of ministry. I've never had a, like people see my travel schedule. How do you do that? I have other ministers say, how are you doing that? Because we'd go a week or two weeks, AM, PM services, and you know the crowd's growing, and we just keep on preaching twice a day. And they say, how do you do that? I preach a weekend of services and I'm burnt out. I don't know. Maybe because it's not me doing it. It's the Holy Spirit working through me. The Bible says it's not you who will speak. It's the Spirit of your Father who will speak in and through you. All I do is yield this vessel to the Holy Ghost. And it's His strength. It's His power working it through me. When you live like that, when you understand that, you're, you don't go into burnout. You shouldn't burn out as a minister. I, I can't stand when I hear people say, especially in Bible college, professors, how many of you know ministry is going to be hard? You look at Paul, if anyone, had, if anyone could have said ministry is hard, signed Paul, it would have been Paul. But if you read his letters to every church, he never, the only time he ever brought up the hardships he faced in the ministry was in 2 Corinthians 11. And he himself said, this type of boasting is foolish for me to even talk about. Because where I was weak, there the power of Christ richly empowered me for. Where I was weak, there the power of Christ richly dwelt on me. Richly dwelt on me. So even he said, it's foolish to even talk about that. But in every other letter, what do you hear? Rejoice in the Lord, brothers. And again, I say rejoice. What do you see? Acts 26. He's, he's appealing before Festus. And therefore, having obtained help from God unto this day, so I witness to his resurrection. Having obtained help from God as it is unto this day. 
If you try to do ministry your way, yes, it's going to be hard. If you try and come up with your plans for the ministry, yes, it's going to be hard. If you're engaged in a bunch of activities that God never commissioned you to do, yes, you're, you're going to have a hard life. But if you stick to the flow of the Holy Ghost and stick to the lane, the same calling in which he called you to, you're going to make it. And you'll have divine backing and divine grace. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10? He said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And the grace of God labored mightily in me to accomplish these things. He said, I strive according to his glorious power at work in me. Praise the Lord. How is ministry hard? All I do is spend my time reading the Bible, praying, fasting, and then going out to tell other people, you don't have to stay bound. You don't have to stay sick. You don't have to stay poor. You don't have to. This is a dream job. But the devil wants to get you to expect hardship in the ministry, that it's not a dream job. It's actually a job that God reserves for people he doesn't really like. <laughs> it's actually a job that's just paved with thorns and thistles and constant trial and trouble. No. The disciples returned with great joy. The Bible says, And the disciples went everywhere, preaching the word, the Lord working with them, confirming the, the word with signs following. It's it. It's a blessing. What an insult to God. It is, I want you to write this in the comment section. It is a great thing to serve the Lord. It is a great thing to serve the Lord. I don't know what got into the North American church. They didn't have it in, the, in 1906 when Azusa hit and ministers got called to ministry. They would go to like An Angola with joy in their heart. They'd go to Ghana, like northern Ghana, northern Nigeria. They'd go all over the world. All these people filled with the Holy Ghost. The first thing the Holy Ghost does to people when he baptizes them is he puts a joy in your heart to serve God. That's the first thing that came to me, a joy. I've never had a day where I've complained about serving God. Carrie, you know, it's been real. I, you ask my wife. My wife is in the comment section. Write it down. There's never been a time in secret or publicly. Because that's not my expectation. You can have a pastor that expects hardship all through their ministry and all through their life, and they get that. And you can have a seven-year-old child who expects goodness and mercy to follow him all the days of his life, and that seven-year-old child will have exactly what he expects. And the pastor, who supposedly knows more, will, will have the hardship. Will have the hardship. Even when I was in my parents' basement, living there with my wife, pretty much homeless because we didn't have anywhere that we actually called home. We had a little tiny room in the basement and that was it. Even when we were there, starting out in the ministry, never did we talk to each other. Hey, Carrie, you know, th this really sucks. Never. Even then, we just made good with it. Got a PlayStation when we had no meetings or anything. So it's not like we had much to do. We just played Call of Duty till four or five in the morning. Those were memorable times for me. Very memorable times. We, I, we enjoyed it. Despise not the days of small beginnings. Enjoy every step of the way. And always have an expectation that today's the smallest you're ever going to be. I'm moving forward. I'm going upward. Praise God. I don't expect ministry to be hard. I expect God's backing and divine grace. 
Number eight, we're going to finish with this. This is good. I don't expect, and you can put your nation in this, but I'm going to put my nation in this. I don't expect Canada to bust. I expect revival for my nation. I don't expect, because you hear some preachers, I mean, you know, things are only going to get harder for the church. No. Yes, difficult times will come in the last days. Yes, the Antichrist is establishing a system right now. But the Bible says in Isaiah 60, that's what we're going to read. Go to Isaiah 60. Isaiah chapter 60. This is God's program for the last days. What you should expect the church to do in the last days. Not to bust. I don't expect the church to bust. I don't expect Canada to be in a bust where our glory days were in the 1800s, where we wrote the anthem, God, keep our land glorious and free. No, we're going to have a final move of the Spirit in this nation. From sea to shining sea, God's going to visit this nation with power. And you can put your nation in there. United States, I ex- that's right, Maria, I expect revival. Matter of fact, if you're in the U.S., write whatever city. Say, I expect revival for Chicago, for New York. If you're, that's right, Daniel. South Africa, I expect revival for South Africa. I I expect revival for Ireland. Write your city, write your nation. I expect revival for Austria. Yeah, I know what Europe is like now, where it's, uh, it's pretty much a secularized society. I have a friend in the ministry, Pastor Ben Kroski, who is out in Amsterdam, Netherlands. And he started a church with 30 people the first week. And then the second week, there were four people. Him, his wife, and his two children. And he never, ever, ever let it out of his mouth that Amsterdam's too too far gone. Netherlands is too far gone. We're never going to reach this city. We should move somewhere. He never let that out of his mouth. He kept on speaking. These dry bones are going to live again. The word of the Lord is going to prevail in this region. We're going to see a tsunami of God's power flood this region. And you know what he has now? They just moved into another building. They've passed through two buildings. They're in a third building now where they have 1,500 plus people coming every single week. He has one of the largest churches in Amsterdam done in eight years. Eight years. And now he's starting to have national influence coming on national television. And God's using him to shake Amsterdam. God's going to use you to shake your city in Jesus' name. You're going to be an agent of change in your generation. Arise and shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth. Deep darkness will cover all the people. But the Lord will arise on you, and his glory will be seen on you. And Gentiles will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Then you will lift up your eyes all around and you'll see. They'll all gather together to you. They will come to you. Your son shall come from afar and your daughter shall be nursed at your side. That's talking about revival. That's talking about uh, uh, the most evangelistic activity that has ever occurred in the history of the church will occur in these last days. The story of Samson. Get this. And we're going to pray after this. But get this, the story of Samson is a picture of the church's history on the earth. Samson started out in the anointing. The early church started out in the anointing. Samson compromised and lost the anointing. 
The, early, the church through the years has compromised. Not, there's always been a, a remnant and pockets of revival, but at large, the church, like in the last several years, has compromised. And there's been something that was lost in the anointing to reach our generation with the gospel. But just like Samson, while he was blind, his eyes gouged out of his, his sockets, and he stood with two pillars to his left and to his right, and he cried out to God, God, give me one more victory. Anoint me afresh and anew. The Spirit of God came upon him as, upon old, uh, upon him as of old, and he pulled down those pillars. And in Samson's death, he killed more Philistines than his entire life. That's a picture of the church. That in the times approaching the rapture of the church, as we are about to be taken up to meet the Lord in the sky, in the closing moments of the glory days of the church, it's not going to be days of humiliation and days of us having our eyes gouged out of our, our sockets and just huddling up in a, in a corner somewhere, doing nothing great, nothing impactful, just like Samson killed more Philistines in his death than in his life, the church is going to win more souls in the closing moments of history than in any other time of its history on the earth. Joel says, in the last days, the latter reign will be the culmination of the former reign and the latter reign. There's going to be a latter reign. A latter reign. What does latter reign anointing mean? It means... Whatever you've seen God do through the history of the church will pale in comparison with what he's about to do with this last generation of Christians on the earth. And I believe we are the last generation of Christians on the earth. Not because Christianity is going to die. No, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not, will not prevail against it. We're not going to be the last generation because the devil's going to get his way. We're going to be the last generation because the trumpet's going to sound and Jesus is going to return. What is he returning for? Not this bruised, dilapidated, broken down body. He's returning for a church, a glorious bride without spot, without wrinkle, awaiting his return, awaiting his return. I don't expect the worst time in history to happen now. I expect the glory days. This is not the hour for the Antichrist. That day will come when the church is taken away. This is the hour for the church to rise up and have God's glory seen on us and do the greatest things that it's ever done since its inception. And you're part of that church. And I'm a part of that church. And we're going to do it in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. Let's pray now. Father, I pray as you've done in history, when you've desired to move in a nation, you didn't just move sovereignly. For revival is not a sovereign move of God. Revival happens when desperate men and desperate women begin to cry out and pray, Lord, anoint me. Lord, sent me. Father, you see those that are on this broadcast live and on the replay. You see those that have a hunger to see their nation healed. You said if we'll pray, cry out to heaven, turn from our wicked ways and humble ourselves that you'll hear us from heaven and heal our land. And the way you heal our land is to anoint ordinary men 
man, an ordinary woman, to go out into the highways and byways and preach this everlasting gospel of light, to shine darkness out of the region and out of the nation. Lord, use us as your light on the earth, as a city set on a hill, to shine darkness out of our nation. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Lord, use me. Write that in the comment section. Lord, use me. Lord, use me. Lord, use me. Pregendie rebosto koriana ma zeterevedebe. Mandoko repa rebasto koriana ma. I'm going to carry a Bible based expectation for the end times. Because if the devil can get you convinced that the end times is going to be the least evangelistic than any other time in history, then guess what? You're not going to have any efforts. You're not going to have any desire to win souls. You're not going to make plans to win souls. That's why the devil uses that false expectation. Expect hardship. Expect the end times to be harder and harder and harder and harder and the church just to become less relevant and less significant all through the years. No, no way. No way. You have that mindset? You're never going to strategize to take a city. But when you realize that God's getting ready to do his best work on the earth, just like Jesus said, or, or in John chapter 2, when he, Jesus made the water into wine, the, the master of the feast said, You've saved the best for last. Hallelujah. Oh. God has saved the best for last. I believe the apostle Paul and Peter and all those guys are looking down from the, rail, the, the, the railings of heaven, looking to us in jealousy in a way. Man, I wish I were there now with the technology, with the resources, with travel being so easy. Paul's like, I wish I were there now. Truly, God, you've saved the best for last. Hey, my nation's not going to hell in a handbasket. Canada shall be saved. America shall be saved. Austria shall be saved. South Africa shall be covered with blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. If you're watching me right now, you've never given your life to Jesus. You need to get saved. You need to come to the knowledge of the truth. What's the truth? We all gone astray. We all fell short of the glory of God. But God took all of our sin. Imagine you had two little uh, cups. And one cup was full of black, dirty, polluted substance. And the other cup was full of clear substance. God took that cup of black, dirty, polluted substance, tossed it away, put it on Jesus, and then filled our cup with that clear, transparent, beautiful water. That's what, God, that's what the gospel is. He took our sin, he took the ugliness, he took our ashes, and he laid it on Jesus, and then took Jesus' beauty, Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' cleanness of hands, and he put it on us. God did to Jesus what he should have done to us so that God could do for us what he's always done for Jesus. Hallelujah. The Son of God came to be a man so that us men and women can become sons of God where our record is done away with, where our record of iniquity, our record of sin is expunged. We have a clean record. Though your sins are red as crimson, I'll make them white as snow. If you're here right now and you're in sin, I'm not here as your enemy. 
I'm here as your best friend. Get rid of sin. Come to Christ right now. Give your life to Jesus. And you're, you'll never be the same again. Do this. If you've already done this, but you've fallen away, you're not living for the Lord. Rededicate your life to Jesus. We've been having people saved on every broadcast nearly this week. Give your life to Jesus. Surrender to God. Don't give to God just your money and your time at church on Sundays. Give God your heart today. Give Him your heart. Put it on the altar and His fire will come and accept it. And your life will never be the same. Pray this with me if that's you. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus is Lord of my life. I give you my life. Forgive me of all sin. I surrender to you. I repent of sin. I repent of this world. I renounce the devil. And I receive you into my heart. Fill me with your spirit. Pour out your power on my life. Break every chain. Break all bondage. Give me liberty. Set me free. I receive your blessing from today. In Jesus' name, I'm going to live for you all my days. I'm never looking back. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, I want you to go to my website, salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. Click that. Fill it out, the form, and get that to me. I want to get a package to you, free of charge. We're not trying to get your information so I can send you newsletters. We're not doing that. This is just, I promise you, no strings attached. I want to get a package to you, something that we invested to do. Uh, that has a Bible, some literature, a book by T.L. Osborne, uh, God's Plan for You, I think it's called. I want to get that into your hands. I want to help you. I, I truly want to help you. I'm not the typical guy. I'm not a catch and release evangelist. I, I want to see you succeed. I want to see you walk in the fullness of God's calling for your life. And I believe this package is going to help you begin that. So salvationnow.ca, I just got saved. Click that, fill it out, get that information to me. I look forward to hearing from you. Praise God. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.